Welcome to Supply Chain Now, the voice of global supply chain. Supply Chain Now focuses on the best in the business for our worldwide audience, the people, the technologies, the best practices, and today's critical issues, the challenges and opportunities. Stay tuned to hear from those making global business happen right here on Supply Chain Now. Hey, hey, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. Scott Luton and Constantine Limbrock is here with you live on Supply Chain Now. Welcome to today's live stream. Constantine, how you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks, Scott. Thanks for inviting me today uh, to this session. Of course. Great to have you. And I, I really appreciate you sitting in for Greg White here today as, as he had to tackle something um, here uh, kind of in the moment. But hey, Greg White, Constantine Limbarakis, uh, good practitioner-driven color commentary. You find it right here. Uh, it's, we're consistent about that. It's really important in Adino. That is absolutely, absolutely. And always enjoy the conversation, Scott. So. I do too. And we're and back by popular demand today, folks. We're going to be sharing key insights from one of the leading transportation industry resources, the U.S. Bank Freight Payment Index, this time for Q2 2023. Now, folks, we encourage you to go check out and download the complimentary report, focus on the domestic freight market, and that way you can follow along right with us and you can learn more at freight.usbank.com. And Constantine, it's really important that folks spill coffee on that report, dog ear it, mark it up. You know, that way we know we know we're putting it to use, right? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a great, you know, there's some just great information there for businesses to understand the costs that are that are I, business, you know. Constantine, I agree. And and um a couple things that folks need to know about today's conversation. Uh, we're gonna get in, we're gonna be gaining critical insights, actual insights on again the domestic freight market from two business leaders, right? One perspective focused heavily on the data and what the data is showing, which Constantine's gonna touch on in just a second. And then one other perspective focused heavily on practitioner expertise in terms of what's going on out in the market. So before we bring on our guests, Dino. Our Supply Chain Now team and audience has really enjoyed our ongoing collaboration with U.S. Bank, especially focused on the freight pay, uh, freight payment index for years, right? Yeah, absolutely, Scott. I, I know that you guys have been talking, you and Greg have been talking about this for a long time now, and it's just some you know compelling insights that's being offered and data that they process. I think it, I think the number you always quote is like $46 billion worth of transaction that wow. handled in 2022 which is very impressive. And I think that's, I guess, one, again, one of the big, biggest reasons why you guys are are let, working with U.S. Bank since it's such a great resource for this kind of information and just really help, you know, under, people understand what's going on in the market. Uh, agreed, agreed. You know what? We need to get insights and context and, and data, for, including $46 billion worth of data, wherever we can get it to make yeah. better decisions as business leaders. Um, all right. And folks, we've got a ton of folks uh, Josh in Seattle, Sylvia in Johns Island, South Carolina, John Peterson in Marietta, all points are from the, uh, we have someone tuned in from sunny Tennessee. I bet sunny and hot, uh, but hey, you're, you're, in, <laughs> you're in store here for a really cool conversation. Had to do that, Constantine, had to do it. Uh, and we want to hear you throughout the hour. Comment on what, what we're talking about. Share your expertise, your perspective. We'd love that as you're uh, watching in the cheap seats. Okay. 
So, Constantine, with no further ado, I want to bring in our two guests that we have been uh, uh, chatting about in the front end here. Uh, Bobby Holland, Director, Freight Business Analytics at U.S. Bank, and Heather Schilt, Director of Global Logistics at Fortif. Hey, hey, Bobby, great to have you back. How you doing? Doing well. How are you guys? Wonderful, wonderful. And Heather, so nice to meet you and, and have enjoyed our pre-show conversations. Great to have you here today. Happy to be here. Thank you. You bet. You bet. Okay. So, Dino, you know we love, uh, let's see, our food, our music, our sports, our space, our history around here. You know, kind yes. of what makes up the, the pre-show conversations. We're going to focus on food here because I want to pose a fun warm-up question to our entire panel. Bobby, you know what's coming, right? You've been here with us for three or four years now. So, famed chef, author, and food expert James Beard, we've all heard that name, once stated, quote, too few people understand a really good sandwich, end quote. I tend to agree with uh, James there. So today in the States, we celebrate National Ice Cream Sandwich Day. How about that for a holiday? So my question, and I'm going to start with Heather here, my question to you, whether it is a sweet or savory sandwich, what is one of your favorites, Heather? Mm -hmm. Being from the South, I have to go with the BLT, bacon, lettuce, tomato. It has to be on toast with crisp bacon, crisp lettuce, <laughs> with a fresh tomato from the garden, which oh. you can find right now. And key thing, most Southerners put the Duke's mayo on that. So You had me at BLT, and I love those specs, <laughs> Heather. Yes. Spoken like a true supply chain practitioner. I love that. <laughs> Um, all right, so Bobby, that's going to be tough to top, but what's one of your go-to sandwiches? Uh, my favorite sandwich is one that I've never personally eaten yet. Um, there's a vendor in Syracuse, Sicily. Okay. You can Google them on YouTube. Makes the most beautiful sandwiches literally in the world. Um, unbelievable. But you can Google Syracuse, Sicily, Sandwich Man. Okay. <laughs> so as my uh, as my middle daughter would say, I'm gonna have to search that up. Uh, she loves talk asking us to search up, search it up, uh, search up stuff. So uh, hey, thank you, Bobby and Heather, for making us hungry. Constantine, I'm really curious yeah. your answer to this question. Yeah, I, well, I hate to do the plug for the Italian sandwiches, but <laughs> I I can't help if I go to an Italian deli in Chicago or anywhere and. You know, you get that prosciutto, you get, you know, the Italians they say, like, especially in the South, they go, you got the prosciutto, you got the mozzarella, you got to, you got to put all that on there. And you got to, sometimes you like the spicy capicola, mm. put all that on there. So I, I think that's where Bobby's heading with this. So I, to me that there's nothing, there's nothing better than like a really good Italian sub. So I, that's what I'd have to go to. So there's all different kinds. I think pop bellies. Okay. You guys have that in the South. They have a really good hot Italian Okay. Sub. You might have to try that out if you like. I will check that out. And and yes, I'll have one of everything. Italian sandwich, the BLT, pot bellies, you name it. Uh, as as Josh says, yeah, we'll have a Bucky's brisket sandwich as well. Sylvia, who is in South Carolina, as I mentioned, Heather, is all about the BLT as well. Uh, Don, Philly cheese mm, in that's Philly. A classic. Now, one quick follow-up question. And folks, y'all, y'all drop all your favorite foods in here. Uh, Don, there, there's Gino's, and what's the other one? They're on different look. They're right, like right across the street from each other. You got Gino's E. Uh, well, uh, Don, let us know where you get that Philly cheese in Philadelphia. All right. So now that we're starving for our favorite sandwich, and y'all really hit it out of the park with that. I want to get into the reason we're all here, and that is 
the domestic freight market, right? And, and all we're going to uh, learn from the data side and boots on the ground out in market. So I want to start with this, Bobby. We want to uh, offer a little tease here, a little sneak peek. Uh, so t- tell us about the six key takeaways from the two, uh, Q2 2023 freight payment index, which we're going to dive into the second half of the show. What would those be, Bobby? We're going to look at uh, back-to-back dips in the index. We're going to look at uh, the Southwest results. We're going to look at the Southeast surprising. Uh, We're going to look at the Northeast plunge and address why. We're going to talk about the headwinds facing the West region. And then what's going on with the Midwest. Outstanding. And folks, I want to encourage you again, uh, download your own copy, your free copy of the Q2 U.S. Bank Freight Payment Index at freight.usbank.com. Dot com. All right. So ask and we shall receive. Dan says it's all about Pats. Don says Gino's is a lot better than Pats. <laughs> so, you know, uh, I'll let them sort that out in the comments, but y'all keep that coming. And as uh, as me and Bobby both mentioned, y'all check it out. We've got the, the link to download the, uh, the index one click away, one click away. Um, all right. So let's, uh, so Constantine, we've got a fully loaded conversation here today. Uh, I'm really looking forward to not only hearing Heather and Bobby's expertise, but getting your take on what, what we learned. Um, all right. So what I want to do next is I want to uh, level set a little bit, right? We're going to dive into those six key takeaways that Bobby just shared in a second. But I want to start with, you know, Heather, welcome again to the show. Your first time with us here at Supply Chain Now. If you would, for this helpful context, tell us briefly about Fortive and what you do there. Perfect. Thanks again for having me. So, Fortiv is based in the Pacific Northwest. We're in Everett, Washington, about 60 minutes outside of Seattle, next door neighbors with Boeing. Mm. Um, And we like to think of ourselves as the Fortune 500 startup. (laughs) So we were founded in 2016 after separating from Danaher, which I'm sure many people know a lot of Danaher companies. But Fortiv is an industrial growth company. We have, we like to think of ourselves as delivering essential technology that makes the world stronger, safer, and smarter. Mm. So we do a lot of high impact workplace safety products, engineering, and then we also are in the healthcare space. So some of our operating companies, we have 15 operating companies globally, about 17,000 employees. And some of the operating companies that you may recognize are Fluke, Tektronics, advanced sterilization products. Um, So really just a a strong company, a growing company, um, about 8 billion in size. Man, Heather, uh, very helpful context. Constantine, 17,000 team members all dedicated on that mission of stronger, safer, smarter. I love that. What'd you hear there, Dino? Yeah, I I hear that, uh, you know, there's a focus in certain industries that are just critical, I mean, with the health and, and some of the other areas and some of these recognized names that in specific industries is, is pretty impressive. So I agree with you. And Heather, I don't know if I can let this cat out of the bag because you mentioned your neighbors with Boeing. Uh, y'all have got a really cool event coming up in September, which is going to be a highlight for many of your team members, right? Yes, we are bringing, you know, on the heels of COVID, finally having everybody able to travel, travel again globally. We are doing our first ever global logistics and trade compliance here at our headquarters, our summit. We're having 80 individuals across the corporation come into Everett, and um, we are planning as part of a team building activity to go tour Boeing 
um, as well as many other key key events. Um, oh so man, we've got a lot of excitement in the in the organization right now about about that event. Heather, I'm going to try to uh, bribe you with delicious homemade BLTs to see if I can't get a ticket to that yeah. event. But uh, thanks for sharing. Thanks for sharing. And great to have you here today. Um, all right. So, Bobby, uh, as you know, we always enjoy you know pairing your data-driven insights with executive practitioner perspective like we're doing here today. Uh, so for the handful of new viewers that may not know, share briefly what the U.S. Bank Freight Payment Index is, what it analyzes, and really how it works. Well, the freight payment index is our view of the freight market space. Uh, it's based on data uh, from transaction processing of the $46 billion in payments uh, as of last year. Uh, it's a chain-based index with data calculated from 2010. And we basically compare quarter over quarter, uh, same store sales type activity uh, as generated as an index. And that's how we represent uh, economic activity in the market. Outstanding. And, and, and uh, before I move on to Heather, I want to share folks a couple of graphics that, that Bobby's talking about there. You see the spend and shipments, the two main focuses of the ongoing freight payment index, which again comes out each quarter and is, is offered complimentary via that link. And uh, secondly, uh, you'll see the five different regions uh, that that the data focuses in and is segmented by. And you're, you're going to hear that in some of our analysis. Again, freight.usbank.com. So, Heather, I want to ask you, uh, with resources like the Freight Payment Index, how do senior business leaders use these types of resources? Yes. Yeah, so, Fortif has actually been partnered with U.S. Bank since we were part of Danaher back in 2012. And... Um, I have the privilege also to sit on with numerous shippers and carriers that are partners with U.S. Bank. I sit on their freight payment advisory council. Okay. So we are very intertwined um, and, you know, we make sure that all of our logistics leaders at all of our 15 different operating companies receive a copy of the index quarterly. And what I love about it is it's a good place to go for industry stats. You know, I'm actually here in Everett at our headquarters this week for our 2024 strategic planning. So this is an example of a, of a resource that I would use, right, to assess what's going on in the market. Um, are we buying best? What are some watch outs? And to help us put together our budgets for 2024. So mm. there's just some good key takeaways um, and findings where it summarizes everything together for people like myself, for carriers, other shippers. I imagine, and Constantine, I'm going to get your take uh, there on the on the value of uh, data-driven decision-making. But I imagine you roll up this resource and many others, Heather, uh, to help fuel that mission of stronger, safer, and better. Stronger, safer, smarter. Sorry, yes. I threw in I threw in some other other. Uh, <laughs> That's fine. We'll take there. it. We'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> it all rings in my ears. All right, so Constantine, uh, before we move on, and we're going to be getting into the, those six key takeaways in a second. You know, looking at resources like the Freight Payment Index, um, chock full of data, right? Mm -hmm. um, how important is that for business leaders in this era where we've got change and disruption? And mm -hmm. I mean, you know, nothing stays the same hour to hour. Well, what I like about what they put together here is this consistent framework of year over year, you know, of how much information has been gathered. And it's always that consistency. And it probably helps practitioners like Heather better understand the components that might be seasonality based 
versus those that might be aberrant that might be something related to a disruption or shock mm. you know we're reading a lot and hearing a lot about the changes in in in, in the apac region with globalization and in in kind of the change in that so i'm sure so much of that you're trying to dissect what has been traditionally a trend line mm. versus what's kind of out the outlier and trying to figure out what do we do about that? Do we anticipate that to happen again? So I, I'd really love to get your guys' input on that. But that's what I see from something like this, and that would be extremely helpful for plans. Yes. Sure. Well said, Dino. And 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 we're going to answer. You know, a lot of what we're talking about as we dive into this these six key takeaways that Bobby gave us a sneak peek uh, a few se- a second or two ago. And by the way, uh, Adareme from Ontario, Canada. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Looking forward to your take here. And our dear friend, hey Tom Valentine. From the Atlanta area, great to see you as well. And uh, Don also, Don, who's a fan of the Philly cheesesteaks, is also based here in the ATL. Great to see you, Don. Um, all right, so Bobby, what I want to do, you mentioned those six key takeaways. I want to take those one by one, and then we're going to get you to share, and then I'll get Heather and Constantine to weigh in on, on, on their analysis. Uh, and I want to start with the first one at a very high level because we're seeing some firsts. Is that right, Bobby? Yes, so on the back-to-back dips, the reason we called this one out is because it's like the first time that we've had back-to-back um, reductions in the overall freight payment index, both shipments and spend, uh, since basically the beginning of the index. Mm. Um, you know, we attribute this, well, two things. One, nationally, uh, it's not so bad if, if i can say it that way <laughs> um, if you look at the the graph uh on the index you see that well um well spend was down um you can see that it's coming from a very high point so it's it's everything is relative it's yep. it's dropping but it's you, you know you can see that it's it's already at a pretty high um post pandemic recovery um, but you also see that the shipments Although it was a drop, it was only 1.2%. Now, when we start talking about the regions, then we'll get into, you know, the unequal impacts, if you will, uh, unequal pain sharing across the regions that basically go into this uh, this national view. Yes, Bobby, and I like how you, you, you said it there, unequal pain sharing. The pain distribution is not even <laughs> and, and, uh, distributed equally. So, Heather, as we're starting there, kind of in the in the broader view your your thought or two yeah like what bobby said is we have to remember that we're coming down off of a high you know ford of ourselves you know we had two years of you know record spending in freight and logistics like i'm sure many other shippers experienced so i know that in many modes you know rates have come down and capacity is available which is welcome for some shippers, right? Where we've been fighting that battle for over two years now. Um, I saw recently too that the ISM PMI index, you know, they reported the ninth consecutive month of manufacturer sector contraction, right? Um, and, And we know that if anybody's traveled recently, we know that consumers are, you know, shifting their spending habits away a little bit from goods and services, I mean, from goods rather, and moving over to, you know, travel, airfare, hotels, right? I came through the Charlotte airport to get here and it was 
total chaos. So <laughs> it's a good um, good reminder of like what we see in the index and it's like happening in real life. So, um, Heather, excellent. And Constantine, I'm coming your way, but uh, Heather, you touched on one of my favorite sectors, the manufacturing industry, right? It's where I spent a, a big chunk of my time in my uh, practitioner career. But there's a little bit of good news. A little bit of good news. It is, unfortunately, the U.S. manufacturing sector, as Heather pointed out, has contracted nine months. But in July, new orders were up. So that could be a sign of things to come. We'll see. Constantine, uh, again, as we're, as we're talking at a broader level, initially with what Bobby and Heather have shared, uh, what would you add? No, I, I liked how, how you guys phrased that in terms of coming off of the, the highs from COVID and, and kind of that slowdown and we're trying to see, I think the other factor here is inflation and, and to be able to, and, and to purchase and see where things are going to happen. Cause you're starting to see, I think, I think of the first, they made a mention this week or last week about the fact that they say that inflation is overall down uh, for this quarter or for this month. And so as that, as that kind of uh, tapers off, people might be willing to, to buy more. At, and as we're seeing pressures off of some of the macroeconomic things like fuel Coming down, we've all felt that uh, a little bit better in our pockets. So some of those dynamics, I think, have an impact here. And you're always trying to see, well, what's what's that going to be now? I guess into Q3, right? So what where are we going to be at? What is that going to look like for the holiday season? I'm sure. Mm. Uh, how does that all impact? So um, that, those are just some interesting observations, I would say. Agreed. Uh, very interesting indeed. I'll, I'll move uh, from there. We got we got five more key takeaways and the re reasons why you should check out this report each quarter. And I want to move to uh, Bobby. It sounds like the Southwest region had something in common with, as, uh, with the Charlotte airport. It was humming. It was busy. So let's talk about this active Southwest region, Bobby. Well, again, if you look at the Southwest region, it's one of the uh, less impacted regions. If you, I'm trying to figure out the right way to articulate it. So I don't <laughs> overstate or understate. But anyway, the, the Southwest, you know, shipments were actually um, up slightly. Um, and this is, we attribute that in part from the data to uh, Mexico border trade. Uh, trucks are actually up uh, 3% over first quarter 2023 and 5% over year over year up. So, you know, again, we, we, we state these numbers, but we want everybody to keep them in context. Um, there are still the, the, the overall truck market, truck freight market, uh, freight market in general is still expanding. Uh, it's just, we're seeing the results of, hundreds of thousands and millions of decisions that people are making to try to adjust to uh, the, the various market forces. So we see that that's the way it's shaking out in the Southwest. Um, again, we're going to see a common theme of lower slash stable fuel prices, which are helping to keep spend down. Um, so that's what we're seeing in the, the Southwest. Excellent. And you, you mentioned that, uh, uh, robust U.S. and Mexico cross-border trade traffic. I saw, I've seen some reports that's out, outpacing 2019, and lar largely one of the big factors there is fueling it is, of course, automotive trade. Um, and it's good to see, hey, I'm, I'm about y'all, and Heather, I'm coming to you next, but it's great to see our car lots at dealerships around the country finally start to uh, gain some inventory. Um, Heather, your thoughts there as, we were, as Bobby was talking about, the second takeaway focus on the Southwest region. I totally concur with, you know, the cross-border traffic with Mexico. When I was preparing my strategic summary internally, 
you know, one of the things that I referenced was that the Kearney Reshoring Index stated that the American imports from Mexican manufactured goods have grown by 26% dating back to spring of 2020. And so I think many companies like Ford of um, manufacturing companies, shippers, right, are looking, assessing supply chains on the heels of COVID, looking at how we can de-risk ourselves from what's going on geopolitically. You know, all these terms we're hearing, reshoring, nearshoring, friendshoring, right? <laughs> I mean, whatever, however you want to call it, there's definitely, um, I think, a continued theme. And I, I, I thought that was really good of U.S. Bank to, to point that out, like of what's specifically happening in the Southwest with the cross-border. Um, and it's just a reminder, you know, for people like myself, shippers, right? Like, I'm in close communication with my direct materials lead, mm. right? As they're making resourcing decisions in our supply chain, you know, these are happening happening globally, but it's interesting to see the impact that it has on domestic freight, right? As we make these changes globally. So. Excellent point. And, you know, that friend shoring is an interesting term. Who knows? Super friend shoring might be right around the corner, uh, too, as we get Superman and, and Batman to ha uh, help us in, in global supply chain. And the other thing, uh, kidding aside, Constantine, is this nearshoring and, in particular, the reshoring trend. It'll be interesting to see as these plants uh, are built and, and start to produce and, and add to our domestic freight markets where we'll be, you know, two or three years from now. But Constantine, uh, chat, uh, what'd you hear there from Bobby and Heather as we, as uh, on the second key takeaway focused in on the Southwest region? Yeah. Uh, I, I think again, it's just more evidence of the, the nearing relations on a regional basis. And, um, you know, because of the amount of auto, automotive manufacturing in places like Mexico, that's certainly a sign, but I think there's just going to be other industries where that's going to also increase, right? As there's increased investment in that production, anything semiconductor related is going to also have an impact. I mean, there was discussions about where things are going to be happening in places like even like Costa Rica. Mm. And we talked about that, where, where is that going to go? How is that going to come through? And again, because then you're not relying on these shipping aspects and the concerns of, uh, you know, things coming from overseas, if it's coming vertically and you're dealing with more of a regional trade, it's an expansion of our ability to get things there quicker. And that even more so than I would say as to why the freight rates are going to be important because it, it's how, where does it have to go through? It's got to go through the Southwest. Mm. So, so, so it's a very interesting dynamic that these numbers show that I, I just, again, are so pivotal for planning and understanding of what you need to do from a manufacturing standpoint. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, well, it's going to get, it's going to get better. Uh, and I like, I like Bobby's searching to find the right and most accurate uh, term. Bobby, I've always liked that uh, about how you do business here going back for three or four, four uh, years, because folks need to hear it. They don't need to hear it dramatically put or blown out of proportion. We just need to take a level head with context, data-driven context, and understand what's going on out in the market. So that brings us to our number three key takeaway the Southeast region metrics uh, seem to surprise a few folks out there. Is that right, Bobby? Yeah. And the reason we call it a surprise is because if you look at uh, what traditionally happens in the Southeast, um, they usually have uh, capacity shortages, but as we are seeing in the data, we see that the shipments dropped very slightly. The shipment volumes dropped very slightly, which almost, if you look at the graph, looks like a rise, 
but we see that the spend element dropped more. So, you know, minus 2.2% on shipments, but a 2.5% drop in spends, which mm-hmm. means to us, we, when we see that, we think, you know, capacity's uh, greater. Um, and then we start to look at, try to figure out why it might be. And uh, some of the things came back and, and Heather actually, you know, said that earlier is the shifting in goods and you know from goods to services and mm-hmm. again that's another theme that we'll find throughout the index that as that happens um, it affects it affects the regions somewhat differently but it still uh, affects the the truck freight volumes and spend yes that's right everyone wants to get out and travel they want to break out uh, and see new places like uh, Everett, Washington, or uh, who knows it, wherever, wherever folks getting out, eating new things, Italian sandwiches, Bobby, all that stuff we touched on earlier. Heather, what would you add when we talk about uh, key takeaway number three and what's going on in the Southeast? I always, being from the Southeast, I always have heard and, you know, think this has something to do with, you know, there's a lot of highways, right, that intersect in the southeast with 95, 85, right, and um, just with everything that will get to the west coast region shortly, but, you know, everything going on there with ports and things, I just, I also see that, you know, as we are looking at, you know, this whole idea of nearshoring, restoring, um, we are looking at a supply base, um, and some are in the southeast, surprisingly, so, um, you know, that, that didn't surprise me to, to see that, um, just thinking about, um, you know, the travel that takes place in the Southeast and that highway system that we have. Yes. Agreed, Heather and Constantine, I'm coming to you next, but Hey, don't sleep on I-20. I-20, uh, <laughs> I-20, uh, I-6, Aiken County, South Carolina, where I grew up, uh, and of course goes all across the country. And, and also Heather, as you also pointed out, of course, here in the, in the Atlanta area, uh, let's see here. 75, 85, I-20, and of course, it's it's, it's just like the um, uh, merging. Yes. Uh, And one other thing about Georgia, which, of course, is is a um, very active region in southeast, is all these new plants that are going up. I I think three mega plants have been announced, and at least two of them, I believe, have broken ground. It'll be really interesting to see the ripple effect there and some of the clustering that goes on in industries like automotive and others. With so we'll labor see. rates, right, too. Yes. They are um, different, different areas of the country. Yes, that's a great call out. Uh, and one other thing I saw last night is uh, nuclear power. They just they started operation of the first nuclear reactor in the U.S. in like 30 or 40 years in Georgia with plans for a fourth one to come online soon. So, you know, that access energy is so critical for uh, manufacturing and, and industrial activity in general. Constantine, sorry, went on a, a diatribe there, but the Southeast, your thoughts? Well, again, you guys are there more so than me. I've been experienced and haven't traveled there. What I'd be really interested to understand is what that index portends with regard to some of the manufacturing in places like South Carolina, where you have manufacturing, particularly with automotive, like the BMWs and mm-hmm. uh, of the world, where you're, you're hearing stuff, for instance, with the German market, where they were saying they had a slowdown, they had some kind of recession. Is that going to have an impact? How much? Of, what percent of that index index is related to some of that automotive and and, and other new investments? Maybe that's more sustainable uh, type of investments that are going on. So, uh, why that region? 
again, I'd, I'd be interested to get some of your guys' feedback on that to see how that dynamic's different. I agree. I think we're going to probably touch on that uh, as we get to these next couple of take, uh, key takeaways. Um, I want to talk about, uh, Bobby, uh, key takeaway number four, the Northeast. We saw some big drops in Northeast, uh, didn't we? Yeah, we saw some big drops. And again, this um, the, the interesting thing about the Northeast region is if you look at the way that we have it broken out on the region maps, it uh, in effect economically punches above its weight. It's the smallest region, but it has such high population density that um, we can see the some of these impacts that we're talking about. For example, um, travel yep. spending, according to uh, the Census Bureau, to, was um, personal outlays was up two and a half percent from a year earlier. Uh, much lower spending on travel which was up 15 and 20% over the same period. So we've got a lot of things uh, going on that are uh, affecting these numbers and again, making them uh, interesting as they are. We also have bad housing starts up here, um, but we also have, you know, stable fuel prices. They're not, you know, they're not plunging, but they're not, you know, shifting like the stock market either. So uh, that definitely affects, you know, Northeast and Northeast, like I said, has always been, traditionally a hard, um, a harder one because of a, of a variety of reasons in the truck freight market. Mm. But um, so we see some mixed influences here. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Heather weigh in on the Northeast and that, that uh, fourth key takeaway here today. Yeah. So for the Northeast, I don't have anything like specific. I think, I think just, you know, for me, just reading in the index, right. That the major factor just based on the population density right really affects that area with if that region makes changes in their household consumption right that you do see the shift you know correlation to the freight so that that was a point that i hadn't thought of as i was reading through the index of just how much you know population density right can impact that area Excellent point. Uh, and on that uh, note, uh, as, I, as I shift over to you, Constantine, and we talk about population density and consumer preferences, you know, one of the numerous factors is BOPIS, you know, buy online, pick up in store. Of course, when, when we as customers and consumers select that option, which we are more and more, I've got, I, I walk past lanes at my local uh, grocery store and they're full of cars that I've ordered and now their grocers are brought out and put in their in their vans or what have you. Of course, that impacts uh, freight, and we'll do, continue to do so more and more. But Constantine, the Northeast, your thoughts on what uh, Bobby and Heather have shared? Yeah, I I think that the thing I always am impressed by uh, when you go to a place like in that region is the concentration, like you were hinting at Heather, not only the population but of where people also go in in the summertime, right? And also what people would be demanding in those regions because there's so many of those places that are uh, a regionalized that 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 could have an impact too, particularly on the consumer side, right? Where they're like there are certain places where they might be wanting to go, and then the other interesting factor is again the, the weather is this heat uh, aspect is is the after effect of you know people are are saying I want to go to a region or has it been too hot? Is the costs of of air conditioning and we've had a really hot summer has that region been impacted more? And also a lot of the rains that we've seen, right, from the weather aspect of how does that impact people on what they're going to then buy or does it have a, a negative effect of them being able to go somewhere uh, and being able to get the stuff that they needed uh, because of, you know, 
the, the heat or, or weather related events. Um, uh, Constant, that's such, such a great call out. As I'm, uh, I was asking uh, my wife Amanda the other day and our three kids, hey, you want to go to a Braves game? You want to go check out these waterfalls? She's like, Scott, it's way too hot. It's way too hot. Let's wait till we get into fall. And she's so true. And Constantine, that pl certainly plays out into some of these consumer decisions and industry decisions we're all making. A um, couple quick comments here from uh, the chat. Josh talks about how the India rice export ban, how that might factor into some of the data we're talking about. Excellent point, Josh. And hopefully it's cooler up in Seattle where you are. John makes a great point. We're talking about Atlanta earlier. Atlanta was formerly known by its nickname Terminus due to its role as a centralized railroad hub. That's a great piece of supply chain trivia there. And finally, uh, Tom, speaking your language and speaking to you here, Constantine, he says we should contact old Hank Hyatt at the Greenville Chamber to talk about some of the upstate manufacturing and, and, and manufacturing in South Carolina. Hey, we'll do that and we'll follow your advice. Tell him I sent you, Tom said. We'll do that, Tom. <laughs> Great to have you here today. Um, okay. We are, by my count, and I can be a little bit slow sometimes, but I think we're coming up on number five, the fifth key takeaway here today, Bobby. So we're going to be talking about, I believe, challenging conditions out west. Is that right, Bobby? Correct. Uh, basically, what's going on with the west, the headwinds. Uh, again, we can see that's kind of reflected in the numbers where we have uh, spend is down uh, in some ways out of proportion with the shipments. And again, when that happens, we look at why, you know, where is the, the extra, even if it's a small amount, where's the extra capacity coming from? Well, it looks in the West, like port volumes are reduced as, you know, shipments continue to uh, continue on to other uh, ports. Uh, we see the imports in general are lower, but then we also see like a huge um, drop in housing starts, uh, you know, 15 to 20% during the quarter uh, 15% compared with the year earlier, you know, things like that. That's, those are big drivers of truck freight. And when they drop like that, you know, again, it, it makes impact. So even if the economic activity in general um, is high, these big shifts can change the, the distribution of freight. We also know that the West has gone through a bunch of issues with, you know, strikes and threats of strikes and right. all of the decisions that are made to kind of, you say buttress against that happening you know right yeah decisions are being made to keep freight out of until you know that that, that shows more stability so all of these decisions we're seeing the results of it and, and this is what it looks like um, in the west with the numbers it's never easy global supply chain domestic supply chain it's not for the faint of heart for sure and you touched on those imports uh bobby did you know uh bobby heather and constantine u.s imports in june hit a seventh month low. So uh, Heather, w w that or some other things that Bobby was talking about in terms of what's going on out West, your thoughts? Yeah, my thoughts went straight to the ports, not only, you know, our U.S. West Coast ports, but our Canadian West Coast ports with the labor challenges, threats of strikes. You know, I know myself as a shipper, Constantly, I'm reaching out to my peers at other companies, um, you know, as we're trying to assess, you know, what are they doing? You know, because it does cause a freak out factor for mm. shippers, right? We've all lived through labor situations in the past. And so I do think we have a little bit of battle going on now between East Coast and West Coast ports. Um, I know a lot of uh, shippers, for fear of what would, could happen on the West Coast, moved a lot of volume 
over to Savannah, Charleston, New York ports, right? And I think it'll be interesting. Um, thankfully, that was resolved, right? And um, I think it'll be interesting now to see um, if that volume actually returns to the West Coast. Um, and, you know, it, it, that does correlate, too, with what's going on with the ocean market. We've got capacity there now. Um, the rates have come way down. Um, so, um, and, you know, the ocean carriers are more reliable now right. servicing the ports. So lead times are better. You know, you're not waiting as long in the ports to get your containers. So I think all that has a direct correlation on what's happening in domestic freight. Excellent. Excellent analysis there. And I would just add, Bobby, if you heard Heather say that, we got a, a new metric we got to add to the freight payment index. That's the freak out factor. We got to start tracking We've been that. doing a lot of that lately. <laughs> <laughs> hey, no one's immune. No one's immune. Yeah. Constantine, let's talk yeah. about, uh, we, we covered a lot of ground in that fifth takeaway with what's going on out West. Your thoughts? Well, when you guys brought this up and and we were talking about this pre-show, Scott, about the, the freight index, and I was thinking out of one area that you keep hearing the most about with the impact on deglobalization or in regionalization, that's that. It's that West. You know, aside from the, the route coming up from the Southwest to the Mexico, if you're thinking about the countries that are shipping in, in the ports in Long Beach and et cetera, we're thinking places like Vietnam, China, Taiwan, South Korea. And if you look at the graph, it's really fascinating. There's a graph in the Wall Street Journal has published it shows sinking Asian exports are slowing this economy. That has a direct ripple effect then on, on where those numbers are heading, right? Because there's just not as much uh, exports that are happening. And I think the Chinese exports, for instance, a number that they quoted was like it fell 24 percent in June compared to a year earlier. So, mm -hmm. I mean, that, that number alone just kind of makes you think, why yes. is that going on? Right. What's going on in China? Why are those changes happening? They're also having troubles over there in their economy where they've got like 20 percent plus in, uh, unemployment for, for the youth, like 25 years and under. So there's a lot of dynamics happening here. So there's these pressures that are that are forcing those things to go down and then has, a, has a, an instant ripple effect on on what those prices are going to look like in the freight index. Right. Well said. Well said. And John points out another factor that we may have touched on, may not excess inventories that, that uh, all sorts of companies are trying to work work their way through excellent point there john as always okay bobby all this leads us to the sixth and final key takeaway from the q2 uh, u.s bank freight payment index and that is the midwest where we saw some big declines is that right yes um and the interesting thing about the midwest is that um, well, we have softer manufacturing, and so that's bringing down freight in the region. Um, but housing starts are up. So, you know, again, are those kind of balancing each other out? But we also see that cross-border trade is probably preventing the region from going much worse because the, re the imports from Canada were up 4% from the first quarter and 3% from a year earlier. Um, so, again, different market forces, different distribution, different pain points. Um, but we can see from the numbers that spend went down, um, shipments went down a lot less. Right. Again, indication of decent capacity, or at least some excess capacity that allows them to make better uh, decisions, ship for less. Um, and again, one of the things, like I said, that's been a constant across the country is the lower and more stable fuel prices, which also drive uh, costs down. Bobby, 
Excellent point. Excellent point. Year over year, regular and diesel gasoline prices are all down. But you look at the last couple of weeks, folks, keep your eye on regular and diesel pricing. I wish I had better news to tell you, but I'm sure we'll be tackling that in the Q3 version of the freight payment index, Bobby. Heather, uh, as we as Bobby shared that six key takeaway, focus on the Midwest, your thoughts. Yeah, my um, in-laws live in the Midwest in Missouri, and uh, they're always commenting like, you know, how great their fuel prices are, right, compared to what it's like in Seattle here yep. where I'm over $5 a gallon right now. Um, but um, I actually learned something through the index was that the cross-border Canada piece that um, Bobby mentioned. I wasn't really thinking about that trade lane you know, falling into that Midwest region. Um, so I was happy to see that that was a bright spot that was called out for the region, as well as the, as Bobby mentioned, the housing starts were outperforming the Midwest as well. So, mm. um, yeah. Interesting, interesting, interesting. You know, you know, Heather, before I move to you, Constantine, Heather, I loved you sharing some of your uh, career uh, supply chain stories in the pre-show. We're going to have to have you back on an episode. We're going to dive deeper on some of the really cool yes. things you did. You earlier. should do a show on like, what's the most interesting freight you've ever moved. <laughs> yes. Or I'm sure like people would chime in with some really funny um, comments. Because um, people, I think like until COVID, I, I always say like people had no idea what logistics professionals even did. I feel like most people just assume freight just shows up on the shelves and like it just magically got there and now like i tell people i'm in logistics or supply chain people are like oh you know <laughs> like they have a real understanding when you know we couldn't get toilet paper and things like that so. that's right uh and that's a great thing but it's also a challenging thing because consumers are cracking the code more and more and and are asking better questions tougher questions and of course all that rolls into continued heightened expectations. So, uh, but Heather, we're going to have that show because everything has a supply chain. I appreciate you sharing. Uh, Constantine, again, sorry, I went, I went, I took a hard right turn there. Uh, I'll say it at Albuquerque, since we're talking about the Midwest and the sixth uh, key takeaway, your thoughts on what Bobby and Heather shared there on the, on the final takeaway. Well, when it comes to fuel prices and there's a difference between Chicago fuel prices and like Hannibal, Missouri, when I'm picking Midwest, you know, I'm like, you know, smack dack in the middle, you know, we're dealing with Cook County and dealing with that kind of local kind of sphere of pricing. Right. This is the rest of the Midwest, you know, places like Michigan, Wisconsin, Southern Illinois, Indiana. So there's a dynamics there. I mean, you start seeing a lot of, you know, investment too. We're seeing a lot of activity like with housing. It might be increased in some of these regional locations where there might be college towns. I, I saw an article where there's been increased interest in some of these regionalities like uh, West Lafayette, Indiana, or South Bend, Indiana, where there's been people moving to these regions because they want to have a little bit less cost pressure from some of the big metro areas mm -hmm. in these Midwest cities. But then at the same time, again, uh, the dynamic from the fuel, uh, it's, it, we, we also have seen the, that decrease in pricing. So that that's a good thing. Uh, but I, where you draw the line on Midwest for me is always an interesting. I don't know. I'd like to get better insight from you, Bobby, on where you guys draw that line because <laughs> I live here and it's just an interesting thing to see. Uh, yeah, in the, index, in the index, we did call out the fact that it's, you know, a lot of this is in more of the northern states that are born mm -hmm. than the northern. Yeah, because of Canada, the Midwest. So uh, that, you know, to your point, that's probably why some of these things that we're talking about, you know, don't. Um, 
may not necessarily trickle down, if you will, to the to the state you're in. Yes, you know, the, part of the, or the part of the state you're in. I used to live in Chicago too, so I know exactly what you're ah, talking about. Yeah, <laughs> we're going to get not like the rest of the world. <laughs> yeah, that's right. The that's world. right. We're going to have to get you all to share some of those uh, Chicago stories. Another, um, and that's a different episode uh, coming up soon. But, hey, I'm, I'm sharing this graphic here. I know that might be a bit of an eye chart. Y'all can check out how we define each region in the report. But, uh, Dino, if that kind of gives you – if you know your geography better than I do, that kind of gives you a sense of yeah. the states that are rolled up into the, uh, the Midwest region there. Okay. So now we're going to arrive as we start to kind of come down the home stretch here. Of course, Bobby, we're not going to ask you. You're not going to wear your futurist hat today or ever with us, as always. Uh, but Constantine and Heather, I want both of y'all to break out your crystal ball. because I, And Heather, we'll start with you. What do you see in the next few months? What lies ahead for the freight market here in the U.S.? Yeah, so as I mentioned earlier, I do have my crystal ball out right now because um, <laughs> I'm in my pre-strat planning for 2024 already, which is just crazy that, you know, we're already trying to think about 2024. You know, we're at Fordham really going through it by mode because every mode is really different right now. Um, you know, ocean and air are stable, got good capacity, right? But then there is some uncertainty right now in the domestic trucking. Um, we do know that some recent events have happened in the market, um, particularly in LTL. And I think a lot of shippers like myself are questioning, you know, what the capacity situation is going to look like. And then, you know, are, are other carriers able to absorb capacity as well as what will be the cost right. of absorbing that capacity? Um, so that is something that we are watching very closely right now because we do feel like that we will have exposure um, to that. So, um just it's never a dull moment here mm. in the domestic um, <laughs> freight market. You know, everybody knows like what's been in the news with parcel as well. Yep. So it's uh, it's been interesting times. It really has. And I love what you shared on the front end of your response there. Uh, you got to take it mode by mode. Yes. Really uh, break it apart and segment it out as you determine your strategies to drive success and profitability and uh, less headaches in the months to come. Well said. Constantine, what, what about you? What, what's your prediction here? Well, I'm going to defer to the expert here in terms of it. Your, your nose is the grindstone, Heather. I mean, you're seeing this stuff day in and day out, um, you know, and what we're doing is we're looking at these macro factors and kind of the, the consequences of that. Mm -hmm. I think when I'm, when I'm looking at this, one of the big questions is going to be what's going to be some of the impacts of things like interest rates on costs and on people's capital controls and where they're spending, how they want to spend that, where they're uh, and uh, how they're able to defer to alternative providers, what their increase is. So um, it's interesting to see uh, what the wider manufacturing outlook is going to be on the ability for people to get their product to market and what they're willing to spend to do that. So, uh, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know if I have a prediction, but a lot of what the people are saying is, is that uh, they're increasing rates again. And so yeah. it, are they trying to slow things down? I don't know. And what, mm. what, what the impact as a recession or, you know, slowdown have on everything else. Yep. Yeah. Well, let me put, let me pose a follow-up quick question to you, Constantine, if you weigh in yes or no, the Cubs, the Cubs have been on a tear here lately. Are they going to make the playoffs in a strong finish or not? Yes or no. Uh, 
Yes. Uh, <laughs> and I have to confess, I'm not like the biggest baseball fan. That's okay. I, I'll, I'll say yes, just for the sake of, because I'm, I'm a North sider. So North side's <laughs> us, I'm North side. So yes, I am a Cubs fan. All right. Good, good, good. Smartest, one of the smartest folks I know. So I'm going to take that yes to the bank. <laughs> uh, speaking of smartest people, I'll tell you, between Constantine, Bobby, and Heather, man, we have got uh, a, a brain trust here today. Um, and what I want to do, I've really enjoyed the last hour. really appreciate y'all's approach as we broke up all this data and these uh, market observations uh, that what we're seeing and what the data is telling us into six key takeaways that hopefully folks can take and take some action with, right, as they, as they start to plan for uh, the rest of the year and into next year, um, like Heather and her team are going through. So, Bobby, I want to, as we start to wind down, I want to make sure folks know how to find the freight payment index and, of course, take the step to subscribe. Where would you point people to? I'd point them to freight.usbank.com. And, again, you can subscribe to it. It's a free publication, and it'll be de delivered to you quarterly to your email box. That is right. It doesn't get much easier than that in these uh, challenging times, but really appreciate it. And of course, uh, Bobby's team and information is all on the report. Uh, you can uh, connect with Bobby Holland there and the U.S. Bank team. Bobby, really appreciate all that you do uh, on a quarterly basis here to help people you know, be more informed. I got to come up with a tagline for what you do. I got to play on that stronger, safer, smarter. I'll have one ready for uh, the next live stream, Bobby. Um, you guys as well. Heather. Heather, 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 really enjoyed all of our, our all of our chats, especially not only your expertise here, but some of those pre-show stories that we're going to get to in a future episode. <laughs> How can folks connect with you and the uh, ever-growing Fortive team that's on the move? Yeah, so um, I, probably the easiest way is LinkedIn. I have actually been trying to make a concerted effort to be more active on LinkedIn. I think it's a great platform. Um I'm thinking like, I love logistics. I love my job. I'm doing it every day. And I'm like, I make a post and I'm like, people actually like are interested in this. Like <laughs> I went to career day at my daughter's preschool and did preschool for logistics. And that blew up on LinkedIn. And wow. I'm like, who knew? So, um, but yeah, probably LinkedIn would be the best way. Or you can email me at heather.shill at fortive.com. I love that. And Heather, I love, uh, uh, logistics for preschool. Is that what you said? Yes. I get that right? Yes. Uh, you know, I love those, uh, those approaches at really baking mm -hmm. things down into really approachable ways that anyone can understand yes. supply chain or logistics mm -hmm. or manufacturing, whatever. So I, I'm going to check that out too, Heather. Especially our future youth, right? Yes. It is such a growing industry and such an important field. And um, I think sometimes it gets overlooked. So um, I felt like I was giving back by I'm like, at least I've imparted this knowledge mm. on a young group of people. So well said, <laughs> attacking that awareness gap, which is so real. Uh, you know, uh, Constantine, you, you're I'm not sure if you're familiar <laughs> with this, but we used to be in elementary schools with kids talking supply chain one on one with thousands of kids. And Heather's, you're implying, man, the light bulb that goes off, they figured out really quick and then they're asking questions and, and cracking the code further. So that's so critical to uh, what we do is we take care of the craft that is a global supply chain mm -hmm. industry. Um, all right. So before we sign off here, constant, and I'm going to keep uh, Bobby, Heather, sit tight just for a second. We'll be signing off in just a second. And folks, really appreciate all the audience that, that showed up. I know we couldn't get all the comments, but Constantine, mm -hmm. if you think back through the last hour and what Bobby has shared and Heather mm -hmm. has shared and what we've talked about, what is 
one key takeaway that you believe our global audience has got to take with them? I think I think what I was observing here is just paying attention to the nuances of these regionalizations and seeing how that could have an impact on, you know, what you're trying to accomplish in, in your business. And, mm. you know, do you go, do you, do you shift, do you pivot to the Southeast? Do you go to the Southwest? How does the West look? What, what are those dynamics? How are they like, what, like Heather was saying, this capacity with some of these changes in some of the providers out there, how are, how are you going to be able to handle that? And where's their concentration so that you're going to be able to get your product mm. out and, and, and be able to move. So that, that was just some interesting observations of how unique these regions are uh, with what they are with the freight payments. Agreed. That's a great, great way to put a period on a great outstanding conversation here today. Folks, you can connect with Heather on LinkedIn. One click away there. Connect with Bobby on LinkedIn. Big thanks. Hey, Tom, appreciate the feedback. Great segment. Thanks for the intel. You bet. Always here to deliver and help you. Hey, John. Really appreciate that. Uh, he says, "Great content insight to the panel here today." I uh, agree, John. And I'm only in, I'm only slightly partial, but Bobby, uh, really appreciate all that you do. Bobby Holland, Director Freight Data uh, Analy- uh, Freight Business Analytics at U.S. Bank. Thank you for joining us here, Bobby. Thank you, guys. And Heather Schilt, Director of Global Logistics at Fortif. Thanks again for your time. Thank you. Uh, Constantine, always a pleasure. Thanks for joining us here today. I look forward to the next conversation. Thanks for being here. Thank you. But folks, to all of our listeners out there, one of our, we've got the smartest audience in the world. Now the onus is on you to take something, all the brilliance that Bobby, Heather, and Constantine dropped here the last hour, put it into action. Do something with it, right? Mm-hmm. Deeds, not words. On that note, be sure to check out uh, the, the U.S. Bank Freight Payment Index. Download your copy, and then you can get future copies. That You can uh, see the links there we dropped in the chat. Um, connect with our panel, but take that action. Deeds, not words. On behalf of our entire team here at Supply Chain Now, Scott Luton challenging you to do good, to give forward, and to be the change that's needed. And we'll see you next time right back here at Supply Chain Now. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community. Check out all of our programming at SupplyChainNow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts and follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time on Supply Chain Now. Supply Chain Now.